Wow, that was just beautiful. I somehow I feel that I have nothing else to say after the wonderful music and the message. I I think that we should be just go home. No, it's already noon. You guys are hungry. I'm hungry too. Especially because my stomach works uh, Michigan time, so it's 1 p.m. And as Don was telling the story, my sermon is is planned to be an hour long. Don't get don't don't worry. It's easy. Don't, don't get up and leave. No, but as he was talking about food, and he kept talking about food, I said, like, no, it's going to be 40 minutes, 30 minutes, 20 minutes, because I'm so hungry. And when he talked about that pie, I was just like, ah, drooling over it. It's so good to be here. I'm impressed by your church. I, I'm in love with this, with this church. I, as soon as I got in, somebody welcomed me with a, with a smiley face and a firm handshake. I said, welcome, and made me feel good. And then I met a few of you, and I'm so, so glad to be here. It is really a privilege to be here, especially to share with you, uh, to study the Word of God together. Uh, as, as Nelson said, I'm not from here, although my accent may sound like English, like if I'm from, you know, England, I'm not, obviously. I'm from the Holy Land of Jerusalem. Some people call it short, Peru. We just don't want to make our neighbors mad, so we changed the name. But it's truly a nice area. I, 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 I was born in, in Iquitos, Peru. It's, it's a city, it's an island, right where the Amazon River is born. Two big rivers get together, the Amazon and the Marion, and they, you know, they both uh, create the Amazon River. It's beautiful. And usually that area, uh, it's quite interesting that the, the weather can change in five minutes. You see a little tiny black cloud, and you know that you have about five minutes to run, because in five minutes it's going to be raining alligators and snakes and whatever rains in the jungle of Peru. And the interesting thing is that the Amazon River is uh, it's big enough to hold big sheep, uh, sheep that come all the way from you know, inter-ocean uh, trips. It's humongous. But when the storm comes, uh, it's interesting to see that uh, these, these big boats hire people, usually young men, whose uh, job is solely to, when, when things get bad, when the, when the storms come, the Amazon River is impossible to navigate. Even the big trans-oceanic ships have to go next to, to one of the shores, next to the shores, those big trees, and these kids have the, their job is to grab these humongous ropes and jump to the ground no matter what is in there, if it's mud or water or whatever, and tie those big ships with big ropes all over the place. Because if they don't tie it, those big things go down. That's how majestic and powerful the Amazon River is. And the story that we have today starts like this. It starts in the water. It starts with people that were used to, to sailing, fishing, with people that maybe some of them were almost born on, on the shore of the, of the Sea of Galilee, the disciples of Jesus. And before we start, let me pray with you. Dear Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for the freedom that we still enjoy to open it and preach it and enjoy it. Thank you, Lord. Be with us today, and thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. And now we surrender our minds to you so we can understand a little bit more of your great and never-ending love, and please, Lord, we also surrender our hearts to you so you can soften them, so we can accept that love and accept your message and live according to your will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title is quite, uh, I, I know it's, it's problematic, doing what Jesus cannot do. What is that Jesus, what, what is, does, does Jesus have any limits? You know, and some of you read at this and say, like, this guy, what is this guy going to preach? Those people from Andrews always bringing, like, weird stuff. <laughs> Doing what Jesus cannot do. Going where Jesus is not welcomed. And our story will move in chapter 4. We're going to start in chapter 4 of the book of Mark. So, everybody, please open your Bibles. Uh, this is a Bible for you, uh, some of you guys, 15 and younger. This is called a book. You know, it used to be what we collect in libraries. It's like the Apple store or, the, or your Amazon store, you know, but it's kind of like the version of Kindle, but just like older. Okay? 
Mark number uh, chapter 4. Verses 35. And we're going to read alone. 35 to 41. Now, before we go, uh, let, let's be serious for a second and tell me, at what time do you usually just get up and leave, regardless if the sermon is... is, is... No? Okay, perfect. So we'll try to go until uh, 12.35. Is that okay? Yeah? Okay. I was promised 11.40, so you guys didn't deliver. So I have to, I have to adapt my sermon. I have to ask for your, for your help as well to be flexible. All right? I, I've been told that I have a place to go for lunch, so I'm okay with it. Now, if you don't have a place for lunch, you should start praying right now. Maybe somebody will invite Let's go. Mark uh, 4.35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now, they're in the Sea of Galilee, and they're probably in the northwest <coughs> Part of the Sea of Galilee. Verse 36. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. This is interesting. And we could unpack this verse and these verses, but let's just uh, highlight some important things. It was the evening. Jesus is asking their, his disciples to cross the Sea of Galilee which is quite an unusual request. And I will imagine, this is not in the scriptures, but I will imagine that kind of reading about the disciples, they were not quite happy about the request. And I'm going to tell you the reason why. Now, Jesus didn't take time to prepare. They said that when he said, let's go, they said, okay, we'll go. So they took Jesus just as he was. He was preaching, remember? So he didn't, have to, he didn't take the time to go change, put his swimsuit. You know, he was working all day. And when he said go, the disciples said go, and Jesus went. So Jesus was really tired. I don't know if you have ever tried preaching for a whole day. Huh? But Jesus was exhausted. Just like we are at the end of our, our days when it's Thursday at 3.30 p.m. and it's not 5 p.m. just yet. And there's still one more day to go, but it's almost Friday, so you keep pushing. But Friday you get home and you just collapse like... Right? So Jesus was tired, and he says, let's cross. Now, why is it interesting that Jesus said, let's go to the other side? I will say that Jesus, is this, does this have a clicker? Laser, let's see. How does this work? Doesn't work. Okay. If you come with me to this uh, area here, the upper yellow part of Galilee, right? You say Magdala. Jesus was a little bit north of it. But he was inviting his disciples to go to this purple area. That is the area of the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis was not part of, of the kingdom, was not part of, part of Israel, of Judea. Uh, the Decapolis was quite different. They had a different religion. They had a different kind of people. The Decapolis was kind of the remains of, of the Greek empire a little bit. They were more Greek than the rest of the area. And one interesting thing is that because they were Greek, they had several gods. They have a very interesting religious system. They were pagans. Beyond that, they were pagans that were involved in demoniac activities, in, 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 in worshipping the evil one. They worshipped the demon, demons. So this is quite an area. Although there were some Jews in the area, this is an area that if you were a Jew, you know, the, 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 the Hebrew mom never told his kid, you know, hey, when you grow up, we're going to go to the capitalist and find a nice wife for you. No, 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 no. This is an area where you told your kids, don't you ever go there. If you go there, there's not going to be any blackberry pie for you today. This is an area that you try to stay away because that was opposite to what you believe. Now, they shared the Sea of Galilee. And this is, this is interesting. The Sea of Galilee sustained them both, the Jew and the pagan. It refreshed them both, the Jew and the pagan. Jesus 
is working on the area of the east, in Judea, in Samaria. But now he tells his disciples, let's go across the lake. Ah, do you know what Jesus, probably one of them said, I have the feeling that your GPS is a little, is not working. It must be an Apple phone, you know. It's taking you the wrong route. You may, maybe you meant like, let's go to Jerusalem. We're done for that. We'll go with you. But even if they thought, they say, okay, okay, we don't get it. Why Decapolis? But we'll just do it. So they went. And as they were going, the sun is going down there in the horizon. Beautiful. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat. So the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, Mark kind of tames it down. If you read the other Gospels, the disciples were a little bit more, how you say it, aggressive? More like in your face? More like, dude, get up! We're dying! Do something! But Mark is more like elegant, you know, say like the disciples say like, dear Lord, you know, don't you see that we are about to die in here? But regardless of the tone, what they use, the thing is that this is an interesting thing. These are fishermen, most of them. Are you with me? Now, if you are a roofer, you are used to working where? Out there. If you put me out there, you cannot get me down. Because I will just hug that thing I will never get out of there. Because I'm afraid of heights. Although I'm very tall, I'm afraid of heights. Let me be. That's just how God created me. Now, these people are used to the, to, to the sea. They are used to the storms. They trust their sheep. They are designed. They are built. The, the wood has been cut, has been put together to stand and stay afloat. Are you with me? Now, they have trust their skills. They are good swimmers. They know how to survive. But at this point in their lives, everything that they have known, everything that they learn, every skill that they have, every tool that they have, is useless. Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that? When you have read 15,000 books about marriage survival, and you have gone to every single counseling session, you, have, you know absolutely everything about marriage and about love, yet your marriage is going down? Have you ever been in a situation when you were the best dad, the best mom, that you know, you, you read every single book that Ellen G. White has written. You know about like cognitive development. You know about Piaget. And you know about this guy and this other guy. You know everything. Yet you don't know where your kids are right now. Have you ever been in a situation in your life? Are you in a situation right now in which everything that you know, everything that you have trusted for years is useless? There's an issue here. The disciples did not wake Jesus up right away. It is my impression that they tried and tried and tried because they were machos. Are you with me? They were fishermen. A little woo-woo that will make you an IDC, it was just like all good for them. But as things all worse and worse and worse, they apply their techniques. They move the boat in certain positions. They try to calculate the wind. They put down the sails so the thing wouldn't go down. They did everything they knew, and they took a long time before waking Jesus up. Yet Jesus was sleeping. Now, this is interesting because this shows us the nature of Christ, his human nature, the side of his human nature. Jesus got tired. Jesus got weary. Jesus was exhausted. And this is good news for us because Jesus knows how you're feeling on a Friday at 5 p.m. when you're stuck in traffic. Jesus knows how you feel when you get home and you see that your kids have not done anything. The dishes are like this. You, Jesus knows how it feels when your husband wakes up on Sunday morning 
and makes a beautiful and delicious breakfast for you, but doesn't wash anything. So you have a pile of pots that you don't know why he even used for because he fried one egg and he... Nothing else. I'm like, why? Jesus knows how you feel. Jesus knows how you feel when you get home and you're exhausted because it has been a hard day at the office. And as soon as you walk into the door, your beautiful wife gives you a humongous list of things that you haven't done six months ago. And she keeps reminding you of that. What a nagging woman. That's not how you do it. Jesus knows how you feel. He was tired and he was resting. Now this also tells us about his trust in the Father. He wasn't afraid for his life. That people were afraid for his life. His disciples were afraid for his life. Let's keep reading. And he awoke. And this is fascinating. I suppose that Jesus stood here. And the disciples were like, what is wrong with this dude? Grab a bucket and try to get some water out of the ship. You know, why are you standing? It's not a time to preach, Jesus. It's a time to, to, to survive. It's a time to embrace to something that flows because we are going down, Jesus. Why are you standing? Ah, and this is the second side of Christ's nature. Christ is God. Amen? So he stands firmly. I don't know if you could in a storm. As firm as you can. And he said that he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And immediately, there was calm. Wow! What a powerful Christ he is. And look at the reaction of the people. And they were filled with great fear. This doesn't make sense. And said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Okay, there is a problem here. You know, I, I imagine that they were fishermen. You know, they didn't have PhDs or they didn't have doctors or anything. But wait a second. You just had the experience of your life. Actually, your life was just saved in an amazing supernatural way. And you, you are still fearful. Even more, you just saw this guy standing there and rebuking the wind and changing everything around you. And you're asking, who's this guy? Wait a second. Haven't you been walking with this guy for a few months already? Why are you walking with Jesus if you don't know who Jesus truly is? And it's interesting that this lack of knowledge, of understanding who Jesus was, produced in them fear. They were fearful. And that fear was a result of not knowing who was Jesus. Now, right now, as you sit here, you can think of the situations that are making you afraid right now. I don't know what they are, but as soon as I, told, I, I said that, it came to your mind all the things that have been going and going and going at 3 a.m., Right? Are you afraid? Am I talking to real people here? Yeah? I don't know about you, but I don't have everything figured out. I'm struggling. I have emotions. God created me with, with, with a brain that produces weird stuff sometimes when, critical, when crisis happens. I go through situations that I'm like, now what? And I'm sure that you have been through situations like that as well. You may be going through it right now. You may have come to church today. And before exiting your car, you have to do this. So people wouldn't know that you've been crying on the way here. I know that because we are humans here, there are high chances that you came to church. And right before coming to church... You did what you promised not to do again because you're an addict. I'm talking to real people here. Am I not? 
I'm sure that you have problems at home, that you have relationships that have been broken, and you're afraid. I'm afraid. If I can be open and vulnerable with you. Two years ago, we find out that my dad was having an affair. After years in ministry, I don't know how my relationship with him will be restored. I'm afraid. I'm afraid because as I heal, I still don't find that desire to restore that relationship with him. I don't trust him anymore. And I'm like, if I cannot count on my dad anymore, who can I count with? Who can be that human, that person that will embrace me, that will give me courage? I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And fear is a natural feeling. Because when we see an anger, it's a natural feeling. And it's okay to be angry for the evil things that happen in this world. It's okay. I even think that God created us to get angry when bad things happen. Because we don't like it. We reject Him. If we will embrace and be joyful for it, then something will be wrong up here. Are you with me? It is okay. But the fear that these disciples had went beyond doubt. It was incredulity. Is that a word? No. Because they had the evidence of God's power. They had the evidence of what Jesus can do. Yet they were still fearful. So let's think about this. Help me out. Are you afraid today? Do you have problems that are way bigger than you? I do. Why are we afraid? Let's think about this. How has Jesus helped you in the past when you went through crisis? Think about it. Think about it quickly. How has Jesus helped you in the past when you went through that dark time in your life? And you're here today. You made it. And your story is different than my story. Your journey is different than mine. And that's the beauty of church. Are you with me? The same Jesus is available today. You and I have seen his power in the past. And your storm has been quiet down. Life has returned and is calmed. God has done great things in your life. If you think that, you ha- that he hasn't, then you have to think again. You have to ask God to kick Satan away because he's blinding you. Are you with me? Because if in 30 years, in 20 years, in 10 years, in 5 years of life, you cannot tell me one thing that God has done for you, then you are missing, you are not looking at the, at the picture. You are just blind. Are you with me? God has done great things in the past. There is no reason to fear for the crises that we're going through today or in the future. God is in control regardless of who is elected president of the United States. We'll be fine. Are you with me? But this is the interesting thing. This event, what had just happened... Uh, was something like a prophecy. It had been prophesied in the Old Testament. Did you know that? Let's open our Bibles. Come with me. Let's go to the book of Psalms 89.9. Psalms has several prophecies, and this is just beautiful. And one of them says, You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, You steal them. Do you think it was just a casual thing that Jesus stood and said, be still? No. He's using words from the Old Testament to show his disciples that he is Emmanuel, God Almighty, 
with you. With us. Amen? What else? Psalms 107, 23 to 25. Fascinating story. It says that they went down to the, to the sea to do business, and the storm came. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says that the storm was so big that they went down to the depths and up to the sky, and they were like drunkards falling. They were about to die, and they claimed for help, and he said that God, Yahweh, whew, stopped everything. Woo! One more, in case you are not convinced. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. And he led them through that deep as through a desert. It is only Yahweh. It is only God. The God of the Torah. The God of the Old Testament. That the disciples actually had to memorize. Because most everybody memorized big portions of the scriptures back in the time. They had read these things. They probably knew them here. And they were, as they were walking with Jesus, they have not understood yet. And then they have not made them theirs. But it is Christ, the one the scripture was talking about. He is the one that created and separated and, and during creation. See? The sky is up there. I mean, the water up there in the sky and the water up here. It is Jesus. Yet the disciples are asking, who's this? Who's this? Jesus was a patient man. I would have gone and just like, you know, you guys, I'm wasting my time with you 12. I'm going to look for smarter people. And sometimes we feel like God is wasting our time with us. Because we go through experience and after experience, and we see God's power, and we're still afraid. And we're like, I feel so alone. What alone? Emmanuel, God with us. You are not alone today. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how many hours you have cried last night, you are not alone. God is with you. John 14, 27. It's a fascinating thing. Many times we spend, I will use this adjective, useless. Okay? Hours. Praying and asking God to give us peace. Have you ever prayed, Lord, give me peace? Lord, give me peace. Please, Lord, give me peace. Nonsense. You don't have to ask God to give you peace. Because more than 2,000 years ago, before even your grandpa was born, Jesus said, peace, in the present time, I live with you. And not any kind of peace. Oh, hello. My peace. I give to whom? What is your name? Say it out loud. You guys don't have any names out there, huh? <laughs> Check your driver's license. What is your name? You can add this and say, you know what, Sandro? My peace I give to you, Sandro. Regardless if your father had decided to leave you, if regardless if your dad did whatever he had done that has broken your heart beyond repair, it seems like, and you have spent many months suffering and crying, Sandro, my peace is available for you. It has been available for you even before you were born. So stop asking God to give you peace. If you are hungry and the plate is in front of you is served and steaming, eat! Stop asking for food. Eat! You don't have peace in your heart? It's not God's problem, let me tell you. It's already there. The, the, the lasagna of peace is steaming. You can smell it. And you keep begging for more, for ramen noodles. No! It's there. What you can say instead, is Lord, right now, I accept this peace. I take it, Lord. I surrender my own stubbornness, looking for ramen noodles because I'm hungry. When you have such a beautiful <coughs> portobello raviolis here in front of me. I, I like food, sorry, I like talking about food. I'm really hungry right now. <laughs> but you see what I mean? We look for peace in different things, in different ways, doing things through addictions, 
through spending much time on Facebook. Whatever it is that your, your strategy for finding peace is, no. My peace is better, he says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So in the name of Jesus, today you can surrender that. Fear. That heavy heart. And accept it. Now I feel that we can end the sermon here. But if you give me 10 more minutes, I can present to you the second part of this. Are you okay with this? Are you going to talk to Hafif and, and tell me not, not to invite me ever again because I took too long? <laughs> I want to come back. Would you give me 10 more minutes? Because what happened next is amazing and it's linked to this. Because remember at the beginning of our story, what did Jesus say? Let's go through the other side. What in the world? Why, Jesus? Why? We don't even like the food there. They have weird food. Why? Let's move to the next chapter, shall we? Mark 5, 1 to 20. And here is, we just saw what happened. The disciples were still shaking. They were still like full of adrenaline. And Jesus was so relaxed. He was so happy. He owns everything. He can tell the storm to stop. And he will do it. So he's just chill. He's enjoying the view while the disciples are still processing. What did just happen? Looking for a change of underwear probably because that was the real deal. That storm was the worst they had ever seen. But Jesus was just fine because he had a mission. And he was taking his disciples on a mission with him. <clears throat> verse 5. I'm sorry. Verse 1. I don't know if we should read through the whole thing, but we can highlight the, the important stuff. Have, you, have any of you not read this story ever before? Good. So we kind of know this story, right? So let's just go through some key points. And it says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Uh, when Jesus got out of the boat, he was the first one apparently. Huh. He was full of energy. He had rested. He took his siesta. He took his nap. He was ready to go. A man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived where? Where? In the cemetery in the tombs. Hmm, this is quite interesting, no? A man who lived in the tombs. I don't know about you. But my understanding is that cemeteries are not the, the highest area, like the hottest area in real estate. Nobody goes from Downer Groves to live in the cemetery. I'm upgrading to cemetery number five. Come visit me. My neighbors are really quiet. No! <laughs> what is wrong with this man? His heart is beating. His eyes can see. He breathes. He, he, he's alive. At least his body is. Yet he is living in a tomb where the dead people belong. Friends, we are finding here that this man is a man without. And when I say without, I mean it. Without any hope. Because people, even his parents, if he had some, of course he had some. His friends, his wife, if he ever had one. Every single one around him have given up on him. There's no one that cares for him anymore. They tried. He says that they tried to change him. They tried to, to tie him down. They put everything that they could, they could to stop him from damaging himself and damaging others. And this is how the scene goes. And now, this is interesting. I, I was in Cuba in March. And Cuba and the Caribbean, in the Caribbean, is a, it's a hot spot for everything that it's something called santeria, voodoo. It's really 
demoniac activity. It's worship to, to Satan. In mask, in worship to the saints. And I was visiting this woman. And as soon as I walked into the house, I knew that something wasn't quite right. I didn't know his, his, her, his, her daughter had taken me there to visit her as we were preaching in Santiago de Cuba. And I talked to her and she, she looked different. She was tired. Uh, and, and, but she was interested. He, she, she was going through a hard time. After a couple, hour, a couple minutes of, of conversation, uh, she confessed that she was uh, practicing santeria. And she was afraid of leaving that. And when she meant like, I was afraid, it's not like, I'm afraid of closing my Facebook because my friends will dislike me. This is a fear, a real fear in her eyes. And in that moment, I understood. My eyes opened, and I realized that as I was sitting there in the living room, all these idols, all these satanic figures were around me, and there were more in the bedroom, according to what I was told, and there were more there in the, in the, in the dining room, and this house was a headquarters of demoniac activity. Now, you and I, are not very different from her. Because Satan has used some idols in our lives that seem to be harmless, innocent stuff. But let me tell you, friends, that Satan is friend of no one. He hates the ones that are with Christ, and he hates the ones that are with him. And this is an evidence because Mark is clear to tell us that this man, as he probably started his relationship with Satan, as, a, as an innocent thing, progressed and progressed to the point that this man, this man who was alive, was, was living where the dead people belong. And it says that at night he will cry out. And I'm sure this wasn't a cry of, I have a stomachache. I have too much Taco Bell. No, this is a cry of deep pain. Because he says that they tried to put chains on him because he will grab stones and hurt himself. He was full of dry blood. He was full of blood that never healed. His situation was terrible. He was a walking dead. That is where Satan wants you. That is where Satan wants me. And engaging in anything that can open the door to Satan. Anything that open, can open the door to Satan toward your house, your heart, your life. It's dangerous stuff. It is risky. But here comes Jesus. The disciples never thought about crossing to the Decapolis. These men live just miles away. From the kingdom of God. Are you with me? Israel. The chosen people. But the chosen people. Chose not, not to go and reach out. To the people of the world. So is Jesus the one that starts this mission. And the first person that he meets. Represents the situation of that society. Did, did I lose my mic? Okay. Perfectly. That was the capitalist. The land of the living dead. These men lived in an area that was rejected by those who followed Jesus. Okay? These men lived in an area that was rejected and ugh, by those who followed God, the chosen people. But this man was not just living there. He was rejected by those who were rejected by the people of God. So if you have, if you put it in a scale, right in the category, this guy was the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. To that point that Satan has stolen his identity. Because when this man, 
I don't know what happened. That text is not quite clear. It seems to give you a hint that when he saw Jesus, he had 30 seconds of clarity because he saw Jesus and he saw something different. And the Bible doesn't tell us who moved this body next to Jesus. I would like to think that it was this man that in, in, in a clarity, in a, in a second of clarity, he saw Jesus and he recognized Christ as God, Emmanuel. Something that the disciples themselves haven't done yet. And he goes to the feet of Christ. And it seems that the demon takes over again. And Jesus had told him, says the Bible, to get out. But this demon was a little, you know, he has some attitude. He said, uh, 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 no, no, no. And Jesus asked him, hey, what is your name? What is the answer? Legion. What is legion? Yeah, we know a legion because, you know, a bunch of people, like a legion of people. No, the legionaries were an elite group of the Roman army. When there was rebellion, the emperor, the chiefs, were sent the legionaries to attack those rebels. And there's one thing about those that belongs to the legions is that they, when they went through a town, they left nothing alive. Everything died. Everything was destroyed. It was like that town never existed. So when these demons identified themselves as legion, they may not only be talking about the amount of demons living inside, but they are showing the nature of their activity. And you can see it. It is visible in the life, in the body, in the eyes of this man. There is no hope. This man is dead. And around us, you may be identifying yourself right now as a living dead, as a walking dead. Because everybody in the congregation, everybody in society has given up on you. And you may be thinking right now about that child of yours, that friend that you have, that everybody has given up. And now you're thinking, oh, I have given up on him. And you may be feeling that you are the rejected by the rejected of the rejected of the rejected. The worst that there is. And yes, you and I are the worst that there is. But this doesn't stop the creator, Jesus Christ, for crossing the lake, he knew. I, 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 I have the feeling that Jesus knew about this man when he said, let's cross and go to the other lake. Because Jesus will never be too far of someone that is suffering the attacks and the destruction that Satan is doing in someone's life. Jesus will cross a lake. Jesus will cross the mountains. Jesus will cross your Facebook account. Jesus will, will, will cross whatever it takes because he knows that there is nothing that you can do that I can do for ourselves. If he is not the one coming to us, we are lost. We are lost. Are you with me? Nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Everything that we have done in our lives by ourselves is destroy ourselves and destroy the ones around us. And you can hear probably your cry. You cry now that night in desperation because you don't know what's going on in your life. Because you're trying everything and you're failing again. And I can almost hear the, 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 the cry of desperation when you and I fall in the same scene over and over and in the same addiction and when we open the same website and when we see the same woman that we shouldn't be seeing and when we talk to the same guy that we shouldn't be talking and when you wake up in the morning, young lady, with a guy next to you that you don't even know his name and you go home in that walk of shame crying in desperation because you did it again although you promised you would not. And you feel rejected. Because everybody looks at you. And you are not Sandra anymore. You are that one. People know you by your demons. You are not Oscar anymore. You are Legion. But not for Jesus. Not for Jesus. 
And the Bible tells us, if you keep reading, that this demon was so afraid of Jesus that he begged him not to torture him because he deserved that. He knew what he deserved because it was evident a child of God, a creature of God, a son of Jesus, a son of God, was living like a dead person. And he knew what he had done. And he begged Jesus not to torture him. He said, you know what? Instead, send me to the pigs. And I don't, don't ask me why. I don't get it. But Jesus said, you're out of here right now. If Jesus would have been a Hispanic mom, she would, he would have grabbed the chancla, right? The flip-flop. I say, I'm going to count till three. And you better be out of here. And as Jesus commanded these demons to leave, they all left. And you can imagine more than thousands of pigs. Pigs are noisy, let me tell you. They, they are not quite, quite, you know, it's not relaxing to hear like, rah, 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 rah. no, 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 no. Now imagine, it was, oh, it was a tremendous show when thousands of pigs just ran down and jumped on the hill and they just, puck, 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 and you keep hearing like, puck, 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 puck. because they went and they killed themselves. Now this is interesting, Satan wants to destroy nature too. He doesn't just want to destroy our lives, but he is up to destroy everything that God has created. Satan is not a friendly guy. Are you with me? Now, this is a terrible thing. Jesus has just performed something amazing. He has shown that he was stronger, more powerful, almighty than any demons that were in possession of Decapolis. They have seen with their own eyes the pigs going down, the destruction of that man. Like how, how this man was killing himself, destroying himself because of what Satan was doing. And the scripture says that these the people. Now, it wasn't most likely one guy that owned all these thousands of pigs. It was most likely, like, how you call that? Uh, a cooperative? You know, like a, a, an association that I will bring 10 pigs, you bring 10 pigs, you know, and they multiply and we all bring 100 pigs and we have more. Right? The more the merrier. What Jesus did in this town is basically he destroyed their finances. Are you with me? That's a lot of salami. That's a lot of, of, of chorizo that went down. <laughs> Jesus was an inconvenience for those who saw in that event a financial tragedy. For those who had something and were not willing to lose it or to surrender it for Jesus. But for this man, Jesus was the best thing that had ever happened to him. Because when these angry business owners came to Jesus, they saw legion. Oh, no, it's not legion anymore. He probably had his name back. And you know what's even more wonderful? The scripture says that he was wearing clothes before he was, and believe me. I always ask myself, where did those clothes come from? I wonder if Jesus himself gave him some of his clothes. Maybe the disciples, that church that was with him. Beautiful. And they find this guy, and in his eyes there was not a fury, the fear, the anger anymore. There was peace. The peace that Jesus wants to give you and I today. Actually, the peace that Jesus has given you and I already. Amen? But come with me. I have promised to, to let you go soon, and I know it's about to, we're going to have, uh, it's going to be sundown already, so we'll, let's just hurry up. Verse 17, people say, Jesus, you're an inconvenient to us. You get out of here. You get out of here. And Jesus, ah, this is where the sermon comes from, the title. Doing what Jesus cannot do. Now, let me clarify the title of the sermon. Jesus can do absolutely everything that he pleases. Are you with me? Yeah? Jesus can. He has the power. But he will depend and respect the, hum the, the volition of the humans, the will of humans. 
to do their work in them. He is a gentle friend. He is courteous. He won't force his love upon you. And there is a world out there, my friends, that is rejecting Christ because Satan is working hard out there. And even if Jesus himself will come and show himself before them, they will reject Christ. Jesus cannot force them to accept his love, his restoration, his salvation. Are you with me? Because he allows us to have free will. That's something that Jesus cannot do. But Jesus is smart. And he will do everything that's possible to reach out to these people that are rejecting him. Like the people in Decapolis. Idol worshipers. Worshippers of Satan rejected Jesus. Look at this. Verse, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed begged him to go with him. Ah. Jesus had just saved him. And now he's begging. He's not saying, hey, Jesus, is there room? You know, can I get a right? No, 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 no. Have you ever begged for something? I have a two-year, two, two and a half-year-old daughter, and she likes popsicles. I don't know why. But she will beg to go, please. And she will try every single technique to convince me that it's okay to have a popsicle before lunch. And if you want to know what begging looks like, you should come to my house before lunch when she wants a popsicle. She will even tell me that she will not take the popsicle that has milk. She will take the popsicle that has strawberries because it's healthier apparently for her. She begged Jesus. And sometimes we are begging our church members to get involved in ministry. Hey, snap out of it. Wake up. What has Jesus done for you? It's, it's amazing. I know that there are stories here that will make us cry in a second. When we, if we hear your past, how Jesus reached out to you and where you are and where you think God wants to, wants, 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 where is God taking you? But this is something I don't get about Jesus. He say, you know, I'll take a disciple. You know, more work, more people. Hey, I like that. But Jesus, he's a little crazy. He said, no, dude. You're not coming with me. What? But I want to follow you. No, you're not coming with me. But I want to be a disciple. I want to go to Jerusalem where the cool people are. No, you're not following me. No, but I want to go to Judea. I want to go to Israel where they're to, to be part of the Museum of Saints. I want to I wanna go there. And Jesus says, no, you're not going. But this is your mission, he tells him. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. What is his mission? Go home and tell your family and friends how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy, mercy on you. Friends, I want to invite you to do a quick exercise. I want you to, in the next two minutes, to prepare your testimony. A two-minute testimony. Think right now. Are you with me? Think about the darkest moment in your life. The most horrible time of your life. Maybe you're going through it right now. Just think about it for a second. Describe it in just a phrase. My experience, for example, will be it was September 2014. I had just found out that my dad was having an affair. I was destroyed. My dad has been a pastor for 30-something years. I wanted to quit ministry. I wanted to quit everything. What was the darkest time of your life? Are you with me? 
The second part will be, do you have your, your, your darkest part? Yeah, you have it down in the phrase? How did Jesus reach out to you? How did Jesus intervene in your life? Can you put it in a phrase? Do it. My story will be, and as I was crying and in the border of desperation, I cried, Lord, send me a friend. I can do this alone. And miracles happened. A friend I had not seen for a while walked into my work office to say hi because he was around the area. He was visiting Andrews. And he saw me crying. He listened to me. He listened to me. He prayed for me. He gave me the hug that I was wishing my dad would give me. And I was encouraged by his love, by the love of Christ through my friend. What is your story? Do you have it down? What is your present? Where are you right now? And add to that, where do you think that Jesus is planning to take you? Put in a phrase. Where do you think that Jesus wants to take you? Your past, the darkest time. How did Jesus reach out to you? And how did he change your story? What is your life right now? And more importantly, what is your future? Do you have it now? Yeah? As I was in Virginia three weeks ago, I talked to a young woman after I preached this sermon. Her story was heartbreaking. She had had an abortion. She was about 18, 19 years old, an illegal abortion. The darkest time of her life. But Jesus will find a way to reach out even to those that kill innocent babies. Are you with me? Even those that are rejected by society, God will find a way. If we don't do it, if we are feeling so exclusive, so VIP, that we are not willing to cross the lake, Jesus will do it himself, or he will find someone to do it. And here's story is just amazing. And this is the reason why I have told you, I have asked you to do this quick exercise for me. Because Jesus uses this de- former demon-possessed man and makes him the first apostle, the first disciple, the first evangelist to the Gentiles. The first evangelist to the Gentiles was not Paul. Was this man that was freed by Jesus. And Jesus tells him not to follow him and go back to the comfort of Jerusalem. Where all the saints are. He asks him to stay in the battlefield. And he gives him one strategy for church growth. Tell People, what Jesus, what I have done for you. And friends, you can live in the most miserable place and you can work in an office and in a university full of people that don't believe in God. But, and they can refute every argument. They can refute everything that you say, every Greek word that you have learned. But there is one thing that nobody can refuse. is your personal experience with God. Because your experience with God is the best argument that Jesus loves you. Your life being transformed and your brilliant future cannot be argued against. People will see Jesus through you even if they had before rejected Jesus personally. That's why your testimony is so important. That's why you should have that testimony memorized. Who were you? Who, who, who you were before? How did Jesus act? And where are you now? And what is your brilliant future? That two minutes can change the life of a person. And here we have different experiences. There is people here that I'm sure that have been addicts. There is people here that have been in, in things that nobody else knows. 
I was talking to a girl that, and she said, you know, and in her testimony, she publicly said, I tried to kill myself three years ago. And she told us her story. And everybody was crying when, when I was crying when I listened to her story. You know what? Out there, friends, in Decapolis, in Chicago, in Downer Groves, there is a need for missionaries. And your testimony is what God, Jesus, wants to use to reach out to them. Because if I talk to a person that had, had an abortion, I can sympathize with that person. My brain, I have some neurons, you know. The, I, I can process that. How, I can imagine how would it feel. But if I say that I know how it feels, I'd be lying. That person won't, won't connect with me. Are you with me? If Peter or John were to go to the capitalists and tell these demon worshippers what to do, they would have been kicked out like they kicked out Jesus. But Jesus used a former demon worshipper to evangelize to the demon worshippers. So if you come from a gang, if you come from the darkest place, hey, you have an experience, you are a specialist. And God has a church full of specialists. Imagine if you and I reach out to the people that are going through the specific situations or similar situations that we went through. Imagine if you can share your story with someone who lost, if you lost your husband. What a tragedy. Nobody else understands that deep feeling, that deep pain, that deep whatever it is that you feel. Nobody else. But let me tell you something. Thousands of women lose their husbands every day. Is there a place for you in ministry? Yes, there is. Go out there and tell them what Jesus has done in your life and how much mercy he has had. And this is fascinating, friends. I'm going to end here, I promise. I want to be invited again. When Jesus goes back in chapter 8, Jesus goes back to the capitalists. The first time, he was rejected. Are you with me? But he goes back. And you know what happens the next time that he goes back? The Bible says, Mark reports, that there were more than 4,000 people listening to what Jesus had to say. More than 4,000 people, just counting the men alone, were ready to learn and to follow Jesus. And I believe it was because of the ministry of that one who went back home and told their friends what great things Jesus had done for him and how much mercy he has. Would you be willing today to commit to Christ and cross the lake to that land of those who are rejected. That's the land pearl where you came from. Would you be willing, maybe not to cross the lake, but to cross the road to talk to your, front, to your, to your neighbor across the street that is growing through, going through hard times? Would you be willing to be a missionary for Christ? Would you be willing to go back to the people where you came from with a transformed heart and tell them, the great things that Jesus has done, is doing, and will do in your life. He needs you. There are places where Jesus cannot go. There are things, there is people that Jesus cannot apparently reach out to. He is depending, and he's willing to use you and I and our testimony to share the good news of salvation and freedom in Jesus Christ. Would you like to pray and say, yes, Lord? I want to be a missionary. I want to go to that world. Oh, Lord Almighty, thank you for your word and thank you for your Holy Spirit. And although I lied because I told my friends here that we're going to finish earlier, I, I thank you for, for talking to us I feel that this message is something that I needed, something that we need to find, 
to understand that it is that Jesus, you are God, that there is nothing that we should fear. Because you have been with us in the past, you are with us in the present, and you will always and forever be with us. You are almighty. You are the most powerful there is. We will not fear, O Lord. And knowing and remembering the great things that you have done in our lives and how much mercy you have for us, my friends and I commit ourselves to be missionaries to those that are rejected even by your chosen people. We want to reach out to them with our testimony. So, Lord, in your name we will go and we will celebrate when we see how many thousands and thousands accept gladly salvation in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.